Welcome to Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, content marketing strategy advisors and counselors to leading brands and organizations worldwide. Convince and Convert makes your content better. Oracle Marketing Cloud helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. And by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. Now, here are your hosts, Jeffrey L. Cohen, Director of Content Strategy at Oracle Marketing Cloud. And from Uberflip, Randy Frisch. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. I'm very excited to welcome everyone back to the podcast. Hopefully you've been checking out a lot of our great content. And today with our guest, it's going to be yet another great one. As always, I will have my co-host Jeff Cohen from Oracle Marketing Cloud joining me. He'll step in here in a moment. And then after the Jeff and I chat, we're going to have Jesse Noyes join us. Now, Jesse's been really, you know, your de facto content marketing expert. Um, you know, he's had stops at some of the content marketing leaders out there in the past where he worked at Capost, more recently at Kahuna. Um, really great expert who just understands content from how that content gets fused throughout that entire journey. And we'll, we'll definitely dig in and talk about that. But before we do, Jeff, I know you've dug up a fun little uh, anecdote for us to dig in. Why don't you jump in here? That's right. Thanks, Randy. Great to be here on another Content Pros podcast. And as you said, we're going to dive right in with a stat. In a, a recent CMO survey, they found that 22 out of 100 CMOs are brand new to their job. So we, we've heard lots of stats over the years about the tenure of CMOs, but this is this is kind of a new take on New take on basically senior marketing leaders being new to the role of CMO. I'll, what do you think about that, Randy? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's definitely an exciting time for marketers who are coming in. I mean, in the past, we always thought that these roles were things that we had to aspire to, you know, when we had a lot of gray hair. And I, I've seen a lot of articles of late. I've seen a couple floating around on LinkedIn, you know, that are talking about the new CMO that doesn't always have the same grays. Um, and I, I think maybe it's you know, reflective of, you know, some of the other changes that we're starting to hear about in terms of dynamic of corporate organization in general. And when you think about what the CMO is now being tasked on in terms of just the budget dropping in their lap from a technology perspective. I mean, on Content Pros here, we naturally end up talking a lot about technologies that are being adopted. And it's not to say that, you know, you can't teach, you know, technology to someone who's been around, but there's obviously you know, that awareness and that familiarity in terms of how technology is influencing. And, you know, one of the things that, that someone taught me a long time ago is that, you know, one of the best ways to assess how you go forward is to ensure that you have the right people, the right process, and the right technology. And you got to wonder if, if part of that is organizations looking at it and saying, okay, who is best positioned to evaluate the best next moves for us across those three aspects of how we scale. It, it is an interesting way to think about it. And maybe 
maybe in fact this is a reaction to that stat that we've heard for a number of years about CMOs being more responsible for technology budget than CIOs. And maybe companies are actually looking that, looking at that and saying, we need, we need a different class of person. We need somebody who's not been a CMO before, somebody who understands, maybe understands the space a little bit better. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's all about change. It's all about, you know, being in the pe- best position to do that. And, you know, why don't, why don't we actually, you know, turn to, to Jesse and, you know, maybe Jeff, if you want to hit him with the first question along these lines, because, you know, Jesse's been there through large organizations and growing organizations. So I'm sure he's going to have a perspective. And now we'd like to bring in our, our guest today here on Content Pros, Jesse Noyce. He's a, a longtime content marketer. As Randy introduced at the top of the show, he's been with a, a lot of a lot of different companies doing content marketing. And welcome to the show today, Jesse. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's actually just start a little bit down the down the organizational path with the stat that Randy and I were talking about about the the idea of of all these new CMOs coming into that role. What what do you think about that? Is does that actually portend something bigger or is it just something that's kind of slowly changing? So, yeah, I think it's going to be a bigger change than what we maybe have thought previously. I think it's a generational change where the skill sets that are coming into place in the CMO position are different than perhaps where CMOs of the past have been raised. So a lot of CMOs, they come out of the corporate communications, Marcom function, PR and it's not that that's going to cease to exist, but more and more you'll see some of these other disciplines that are very new, such as marketing operations, uh, content marketing, demand generation. Those folks are going to be promoted and probably are a big part of that cohort that are getting promoted into the CMO position. And so you're seeing that generational gap, uh, kind of the, the first wave of those new CMOs coming into place now. And I think it's it's true not just for current CMOs or these new CMOs. I think it's true for the CMOs that currently do come from maybe that Marcom or public relations, more classic brand marketing uh, pedigrees. They're looking for those people too. They're trying to hire those people as well um, who will be the next CMOs who maybe come in the marketing operations, but they don't necessarily have the experience to know how to align all these different groups and these different functions with their technology. So as Randy kind of spoke about the marrying the process, the, the technology uh, and the talent uh, is really the key to success, but that's really, really hard when the technology, the talent uh, and the processes are changing rapidly. So I see this is kind of that first wave of the generational change where those new positions will come in and take over the leadership role in marketing. So if you were talking to one of these new CMOs, you as somebody with a, a great deal of content marketing experience, how how would you tee up how content marketing is continuing to change or or how should they think about, say, content across the funnel and what that kind of content production starts looking like? Yeah, I think it's two things that, that I would suggest there. One is if you're already thinking of your content marketing role or function or talent as dedicated to a single uh, goal, 
within your funnel, then you've already kind of misunderstood what content marketing should really be. So for instance, if content marketing is necessarily associated in your head with inbound marketing, with lead generation, um, then you are going to put very strict barriers on what content marketing can really do in a successful organization. You should be thinking about content as really the product of marketing. That content is going to be used at every stage of your sales cycle from generating that awareness, that public relations, uh, you know, the relations with influencers to uh, the actual lead generation. And then the lead qualification is all part of content, uh, creating the demand gen cycles, creating the nurtures, creating the drip campaigns, the things that are going to be helping you qualify and fast track your leads over to sales. And then when it gets to sales, What's the relationship going to be uh, in terms of the content they use there? Are they going to have? Is it going to be married to the total story you've been telling up until now to that prospect, or is it just going to be your standard pitch deck and a few data sheets? You know how how are you having the content content team facilitate every step of this conversation with that prospect? Um, have you set up the right organizational structure, but have you also set up the right messaging structure to understand that? Uh, and understand that content marketing is not going to be done just by, say, a dedicated content team. It's going to be done by the other other functions, right? Demand gen is going to probably create content. They might create emails. They might create landing pages. Um, similarly, you might have in product marketing, they're doing the sales enablement. They're doing you know, those product guides. All of that is content. So your content team should be working in tandem with them, not as an isolated group just at the top of your funnel. And I'd say that's my first area of, you know, I guess, uh, not expertise, but more just here's what's wrong with content today. And here's how you can get a, uh, get out in front of it to those content uh, or those next generation CMOs. So, Jesse, this is I mean, this is exactly along the lines of what you and I were chatting about, you know, probably a, you know, a month ago when we ran into each other in an event and we were trying to you know, understand whose responsibility is it to create content and for what stage. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I'm finding this to be something that comes up more and more everywhere I am these days. I mean, last week I was out with, um, you know, at one of our customers headquarters, you know, very large fortune 100 brand, uh, you know, who's really trying to invest very heavily in content in the right ways. But it was interesting in terms of how they described it very similar to what you just outlined, which is, you know, they talked about different disciplines that they had. Um, they talked about, you know, having a social media strategy and social media team um, who handles, you know, social. And then they talked about, you know, another team that handles more, you know, product related marketing. And then, you know, what they're trying to do now is arm this content arm of the business so that, you know, they can have various technology stacks, various processes, and so on. And it was interesting. What I what I tried to do, and, it, and I think this is aligned with what you're describing to us, is I got up on a whiteboard and I just pointed, I, I drew a line of A to B, right? And I was like, A is where we are today. B is where we want to get to. And I think the point that, that we're all saying here is that we need to really map our strategies throughout that buyer journey as we get someone from A to B. And that it probably doesn't just apply to content, as you said, that prob probably we have to s take the same approach with social media, take the same approach with our product marketing. 
maybe you can talk about some of the best ways to actually do that from a process perspective in terms of how we start to think about those buyer journeys and the different stages. Yeah. So a big part of what I really advise is think about what you want to measure if you were being successful, like, or determining how, how you were achieving your goals and whether you're being successful. And I think one of those is always volume. Right. That that always comes up. It's always how many leads are we generating? How many deals are we generating? Uh, what's the size of those deals? Things like that. Um, but then I also say, think about velocity. You know, what should our lead qualification timeline look like? What should our sales handoff look like? What should the time to actually closing the deal look like? And are we hitting both volume and velocity? Because usually what I find is a lot of people talk about the volume piece, but they don't think about the velocity piece. And that's what good, not just good content marketing does. That's what good messaging does. That's what good uh, organizational structure does. That's what good process between sales and marketing does. It helps not only draw in the buyers, it helps accelerate the cycles that move the buyer more quickly. And so the first thing that I usually try to do when I work with an organization is figure out what is the narrative that we need to tell for each one of our prospects, and then how do we repeat that narrative as we move from marketing to sales to, say, customer success or support. And oftentimes, that's not just a single buyer. You might have multiple product lines. You might have multiple verticals. And within those, there might be multiple personas that you have to address. So I, I go through and I say, okay, what are what are the businesses that we need to sell to? Um, are there distinct differences? Are there multiple personas that we have to talk to? Okay, great. Let's map out what is the story we want to tell from framing up the problem to introducing social proof to differentiating our product or service to, uh, you know, kind of anticipating and obviating uh, the objections that they might raise. And then once we figured out what that structure looks like, how are we going to tell that story at a marketing level where it's maybe higher level, uh, more than 30,000 foot, but then also have sales telling the same story once they're talking to the prospect. So instead of trying to introduce new concepts at each stage, which slow you down, you're telling the same story just in a more detailed way as the prospect moves through this, moves through that cycle, moves from marketing to sales. So that they find themselves kind of nodding their head and saying, okay, yeah, I, I'm, I'm bought into this. I understand this. I understand the value. I understand how you're different. I understand that the objections I have have, have already been addressed. Um, so that way you're kind of not only generating that volume, you're generating that velocity as well. Then that's, that's an organizational structure that it's really not that complicated to put that into practice and to, to sit down and say, okay, sales, marketing, support, whoever might, might need to be in the room. Let's go think through this and figure out what story we want to tell and then have that be the paradigm from which all our marketing messaging, our content, our sales messaging, and our sales content gets produced. But it's just something we don't do very often. It's not something we, we don't take the time because we're moving so fast and thinking so uh, in such silos that we don't really get together to have that coherent narrative. So I, I love that. I mean, it's it, it makes perfect sense. Um, as you said, it's really simple to do. But maybe you know, maybe for the benefit of people listening, um, you know, to relate it to us, 
how we ensure that these things are bubbling up from all the different departments. I mean, that that's the tough part. You know, how do you get the feedback from the sales team? How do you get the feedback at these different stages? And how do you bubble that back to the content team? And maybe as you answer that, you can kind of frame it from two different perspectives of some of the people who listen to content pros. The first is maybe, you know, your small, medium business who's listening, you know, which is maybe more similar to the company I, I run here at Uberflip. Um, in contrast to a larger organization like Jeff's at Oracle Marketing Cloud. I mean, Jeff's team operates in a very startup-like manner, but, you know, he's got, you know, some other challenges ahead of him in terms of a very large organization where you need to pull that insight and also, you know, distribute those, that messaging of what you want to accomplish. Yeah, and I, I would say that the, the what I would suggest practicing is not necessarily dramatically different as you move from, say, a startup business like uh, Uberflip to a large enterprise like Oracle Marketing Cloud. Um, it's just a question of how you scale it out, right? So the, the actual structure might be similar, but how you scale it out might change. And I think what it comes down to is that I had this really great piece of advice from a CMO um, years ago who told me, um, strategy isn't about what we're going to do. It's about what we're not going to do. And he's like, there's a million things that we could do starting tomorrow. But what we need to focus on in is what are the three, you know, two, three, four things that we are going to focus on and put our energies against and measure and see if we're successful. Um, because if we just really focus on any good, any idea that comes through or all good ideas that come through need to be acted upon, then nothing gets done. And so what I really spend time thinking about when building that narrative structure and trying to figure out what content we produce or what resources are we going to invest is ruthless prioritization in a multifunctional environment. So, for instance, uh, one thing I did at Capost, which you know was probably similar to Uberflip size, was I'd bring together this, this board quarterly and I would talk about what content we produced or what investments we had made. And I would uh, walk through the, the, the results from it, right? What are the metrics that we measured? What, what did well? What didn't? And a big part of that was I would say, okay, we have a member of sales here who's kind of maybe a rank and file sales rep um, or say like a BDR or SDR. Um, and then we'd have the head of sales. And we would do that for product, you know, someone who was kind of the developer on the product team and then the head of product or product manager and the head of product or customer success leader and, you know, an individual customer success manager. And what I would ask them to do is come in and talk about what you're hearing from your different clients, leads, prospects, whoever right now. And let's go through and actually look at real questions they're asking us, real things they're trying to solve, and then go through and try to identify what are one, two, or three themes that are actually emerging from these? So it might be I've got a list of 15 questions, but you know a good 10 of them really relate to this one theme that we really need to address. And then I would say, okay, now that we've identified, say, four or five different uh, themes that we need to address in our marketing, in our sales, that we need to make sure that we're staying on top of from a product perspective – whatever it might be, let's go through and ruthlessly prioritize which of these need to be done right away, 
because we can't do all of it. We can't address every topic that our buyer might ever have in a quarter. So let's go through and really think about which ones do we think are, are the top priority. And because I was including all these different departments uh, outside of marketing in this decision-making process, we had a lot of freedom to actually go and say, okay, here's the marketing investment we're going to make. Here's the campaign we're going to run. Here's the different deliverables we're going to have. Instead of getting the one-off request, like I need an event, um, you know, in Schenectady, or I need a white paper on this, you know, specific topic, or we need to put a pitch deck against, you know, this one little issue. Instead of getting those one-off requests, it was a more holistic, strategic framework of these are the one, two, three priorities we're going to address in this quarter and come back and show you the measurements against it. And we might sandbox some of the ones that we didn't do. Maybe they rise in priority next quarter. But because we all were in, in agreement on it, because we were prioritizing together, we really had as a marketing team the runway to go and execute against it. And I think how you scale that as you grow from, say, a smaller company to a larger company is you're not going to be able to get as many uh, decision makers in a room um, to get kind of that not necessarily consensus, but prioritization. But you could still select who are the people that are going to represent those groups and give them the responsibility of going back and cheerleading that this is the priority we need to address this quarter. You know, that that we made that decision in this room. It involved sales. It involved marketing. It involved customer success. It involved product or whatever. And now those leaders are going back and saying, we agreed to this. So to my team, hey, get behind this. Let's get behind the strategy. Let's support marketing and give them the, the, the leeway to actually go and execute those programs. There's so many great ideas wrapped up in that, Jesse. It, it makes my head explode a little bit because it, it's not just, not just the idea about getting people coming together, uh, sharing the questions that customers are asking, but actually reducing that down to a number of themes getting buy-in before you go forth and create content. So, so many great ideas there. And actually, before we continue with Jesse, we have a, a word from our sponsor. If you're creating content marketing, you need to focus on the stories of your team, your company, and your vision. So take a tip from host Park Howell on the Business of Story podcast, another podcast from Convince and Convert. With a stellar lineup of storytellers that span across all industries from Hollywood to B2B, their insights can take your business from meh to wow. Tune in at thebusinessofstory.com. So Jesse, I want to change tack just a little bit. Back a long time ago when you and I met, you were actually a brand journalist. And mm. that's actually not, that's not something I hear much about in the world of content marketing. It, it feels like maybe we've moved past that, but everybody talks about telling stories and you use the word narrative earlier, narrative of your customers. Um, is that something that just has, is that something that's actually gone away or is just, did this idea of brand journalism kind of get absorbed into what we now call content marketing? I, so to be clear and you know really transparent, I never liked the term brand journalist. Um, I, I've always felt that uh, it, it muddled it, or kind of muddied the waters when there didn't need to be. It was kind of a, a debate that didn't need to be had. 
and I, I actually found myself often in the middle of that debate um, to my chagrin. So I, I'm not a huge fan of the term just because I think it, it creates too much uh, consternation, if you will, about what does journalism mean and, and can journalism you know, really function within a brand that's paying your checks. So, you know, the classic advertising model or, or business model for media was, you know, the journalists work independently. There's a sales team that goes out and sells things like ad inventory. Um, so you can always be somewhat removed that kind of degrees of a removal kind of fade away. If you're a brand journalist where you're writing about, say at, you know, at Eloqua was writing about, marketing and b2b marketing and why that was so important and so valuable and what were the latest practices and processes and whatnot a lot of what we're talking about today um but how could i be dispassionate if i'm being paid by eloqua right so there was that kind of debate that happened and i i think what really happened is is it wasn't so much subsumed into content marketing as it was content marketing started to grow up and the people who were hiring for the content function realized that they didn't necessarily want journalists per se. They didn't want uh, independent reporters kind of acting like they work for the New York Times or something like that. Um, or even, you know, your trade publications like an advertising age or uh, you know, CIO magazine or whatever. What they really wanted was someone who had the ability to tell a story but also understood all the aspects of the business that need to be supported in telling that story. So when I hired a team and grew a team at uh, Capost, I often said that I wanted a creative that also was a project manager. I didn't want just someone who knew how to write or was good with, uh, you know, let's say, basic editorial practices like reporting and sourcing. I wanted someone that also knew how that campaign was going to be leveraged across the different functions and the goals for that and understood how to make that happen. So they were part writer, they were part uh, storyteller, but they were also part project manager and they were part facilitator within the organization in making sure that all the pieces that needed to fit together uh, did fit together. So I think people just kind of moved off that that sense of we'll have a team that's just writing, we'll have another team that's designing, we'll have another team that's kind of educating, doing the sales enablement piece, doing the demand gen piece. I think they started to realize, well, we really need people who are more holistic, that kind of full stack marketer. And the content, the fact that they produce content is almost a byproduct of their role rather than the uh, you know center of their role. Yeah, that it definitely feels like we have we have grown up, and that was almost a, a shorthand term to describe a certain kind of writer that, as you say, didn't actually fit the model of where we we're going. One thing that you actually left out in your description of full stack marketer, because I I think it can get a little contentious, is what about the idea of understanding analytics and metrics? And the reason it gets contentious, of course, is if you find yourself, as many web writers certainly do, writing only for page views, you're not actually doing anybody, anybody's service with the content you're creating. So, uh, so 
I would say there's a there's a probably a line, but I think an understanding of analytics probably is pretty important for a, a marketing writer or content marketer at this point too. Would yeah, you agree? I, I, I totally agree. I think it's a question of based on your business, how much will the person overseeing that content function be overseeing the actual analytics? So if you're a, a let's say you're a, a series A startup, um, you've got some money in the bank so that you can go and invest in your team. You might hire, you know, two or three marketers who are going to be pretty decently versed in analytics, or at least required to become decently versed in analytics. And they're going to look at those types of metrics all, you know, on a regular basis and be reporting on those metrics. Um, so they need to understand how to frame, you know, create a framework for that. So, for instance, when I was at Capost, we looked at traffic. Um, we also looked at, con- you know, lead conversions. At lead conversions, we would actually measure which, um, you know, what percentage of our total leads were uh, fit kind of our ideal customer profile um, so that we saw, you know, kind of a quality metric there. We'd look at the conversions within the funnel, you know, how many of these were becoming leads to MQLs, what time did it take for them to become MQLs, from MQLs to opportunities, from opportunities to close deals. And we would look at the timeline that it was required um, at each one of these stages. So we were making sure that as we grew pipeline, we weren't growing slow pipeline. We were growing pipeline that was accelerating. So there was a lot of metrics there, but I don't think that means that that person needs to be your analytics guru, right? At some point, marketing operations um, will probably be building that out, but the content person should be working with that person on a regular basis. They should be in touch, they should be in sync. They need to have a relationship where they understand uh, what the metrics are saying, so that they can communicate what's needed to the analytics person, so they can build the actual framework out for how those metrics will be delivered in. And I think that's where contention happens, not just in marketing. Um, I think it also is contention that happens between marketing and sales. Often, where sales says, "This is the metric I want to look at," marketing says, "This is the metric I want to look at." And the two just don't get into agreement. So I, I do think it's important. I don't think it's necessarily something that they own, but definitely something that they need to understand and support. Yeah, I, th- I think what you're capturing is just the importance of a well-rounded team, right? I mean, you know, in an ideal world, someone can do it all, right? Someone can do the content creation, including, you know, brainstorming and creativity and mapping and then figuring out what worked. But, you know, just naturally, some of us are more right or left brain than the other. Um, so I'm, I'm going to hit you with maybe a tough question to put you on the spot with, but we, we started this podcast by talking about, you know, this stat about the future CMO and how the, you know, the new CMO opportunities are, are looking, you know, at net new CMOs are coming in. And, and I think one of your points was part of it is, you know, the changing of guard, the changing of how we evaluate solutions, what budget's going to be put on them and what decisions. So with all that in mind, where do you see the more logical person to hire into that CMO role? Is it the person who is more on the content creativity, creation, and mapping side? Or is it more on the person, you know, who has to understand the channel effectiveness? Um, you know, do you see one path that just makes more sense than the other for, for market, for a company to hire their next CMO? 
I don't. I don't see one path. And I think part of it is because we're in a, a period of convergence of different disciplines within marketing um, that were once distinct functions, perhaps, that are kind of becoming uh, more holistic or trying to. What I would say is if you want to be a CMO, regardless of whether you're in demand gen or, as you mentioned, the channel, maybe you're a digital marketer, maybe you're actual uh, kind of field marketer or sales support, sales enablement, maybe you're in content marketing, whatever it might be, the more you understand what your buyers need and how they go about looking for solutions and what happens within your organization at every single stage, the more you get a sense of what is the buyer journey look like and what is a more optimized, fluid uh, path, what would that look like and have ideas on that, the more you're going to be in the position to have that CMO's ear and to potentially become the CMO yourself. What I used to tell my content team at Capost was, if you really want to grow your career and be responsible, kind of a marketer that's responsible for the entire marketing function, the more you train sales, the more you work with demand gen, the more you understand the product and what uh, actual users are saying to the product management team, the, the better off you're going to be for getting into that role. If you're just focused on write great copy, um, then you know, that's, that's fine. That's, a, that's something you could do and excel at and, and will always be in demand. But if you want to be in that CMO role, you need to understand how all of this stuff fits together, how all the puzzle pieces come together. So I don't see one particular function that anyone would draw upon. Um, what I will say is I do see some trends of where I see more and more uh, folks getting tapped for the CMO role. And those broadly are marketing operations, demand gen and product marketing. I, I'd say those are the areas where I see the most um, kind of growth from, say, a director VP position into the CMO position. And I think that's partly because demand gen makes a lot of sense. Hey, you're generating the actual pipeline, you're generating the leads, um, or at least getting the credit for it. So it makes sense for you to be the CMO or marketing operations. You know how to actually think about the data piece of this. So you should be a CMO in this data-driven era. And then from more the creative side, you know, from product marketing, well, you understand the messaging and how to make our product enticing and you understand our buyers um, really well. So you're, the, you, you're a natural CMO candidate. And so I just, I just see kind of a, you know, a leaning towards those uh, specific uh, disciplines, but I don't think it needs to be any one of those disciplines. I think you could you could have a piece of all of that as a marketer if you're really curious and, and want to dive into what's happening in our, in our purchase paths, what are our buyers want, what is the market, how's the market addressing it, and more importantly, how is it not addressing it currently, and what can we do to solve that? I think that's well put. And you know, one of the things for those who are aspiring to content-related career paths is to keep in mind that the content's very new, right? Um, you know, just as marketing ops and demand gen are relatively new terms, you know, that date back a little bit further, you know, I think as, as content marketing becomes more sophisticated, um, we'll see more shoulders being tapped from this perspective as well. Um, as we start to map more, as Jesse said today, towards the different stages of the buyer journey and understanding the impact of that content throughout every stage. So we've talked a lot about 
you know, career paths going forward, you know, one of our favorite questions to always ask every guest, Jesse, is you know, to look back when they were a kid and where they wanted to be with their career. And I'm going to guess in your case, content marketing wasn't the buzzword at the time. So what, what were you aspiring to? Uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an NBA basketball star. And um, Randy, you've met me. Jeff, you've met me. You can probably uh, tell right now why that was never really in the cards. Um, but I spent a lot of time playing basketball, um, probably hours every day, um, out front in the front of my house in, uh, rural Maine. Um, but that, that's the direction I wanted to go in. But I think over time where that morphed is, uh, I really wanted to, I was really interested in stories. I was really interested in history. I'm still kind of, um, a history buff, I guess, you know, uh, amateur historian, if you will. Um, and I was really interested in storytelling. And so I just kind of moved in any direction that I felt would get me to a place where I could tell more stories, where I could kind of uncover the hidden aspects of history. Um, and so journalism was really real time history, if you will. Um, so it made a natural fit, but, um, I don't know how that all ties back to basketball, but I would say once I, I dealt with the reality that, um, being five, seven in squat was not going to be good for my draft potential. Uh, I started really moving towards the storytelling aspects. Oh, listen, that the NBA are great storytellers. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's your next stop. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. Well, Jesse, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of content pros. Uh, it's really been a pleasure. Uh, Jeff Cohen has also joined me as always from Oracle Marketing Cloud. Uh, I'm Randy Frisch from Uberflip. Uh, we hope you have been enjoying Content Pros Podcasts. If you have found just this one out there on the web, you can find all of our podcasts at contentprospodcast.com. And please, you know, leave us a review on iTunes or find us on Stitcher, wherever you find us. Let us know what we can do to make this podcast more relevant, more helpful for you in your career as a content marketer. Thanks so much on behalf of Jeff and myself. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uberflip, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast imaging by Audio